Hey, Book Club gang, this is John up top to let you know that we had some technical difficulties again on this episode. I was able to edit out most of it, but there are two sections where the sound will drop out briefly. But you'll get the gist of what we're talking about. Thanks again, and on with the show. Reading Hellboy comics and talking to our friends. Hellboy Book Club. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. All right, gang, before we get into it, I just want to give a friendly reminder to buy Hellboy comics. Spend your money on the art that we like. BPRD Hell on Earth Volume 3 just came out, so go buy that if you're all caught up. And if you're not, just buy it anyway, and we'll get there eventually. <laughs> there was also a free Hellboy comic that came out this week for the free Halloween comics. Yeah. Mm. Skeleton Crew has new pre-orders on um, new replicas and the art of mike mignola has some awesome prints that dave stewart and him have signed and dave stewart has been teasing some new ones that might be listed down the line so go buy that stuff up while you can we got our free comic books from bedrock yeah if you, if you so if y'all are in houston go visit your local bedrock They've yeah bedrock city they have a bunch of locations that's our to go to comic book store here in houston there is so much cool stuff going on at Mignolaverse.com. They've got an interview with James Hewitt, who is the creator of the Hellboy board game that we all spent so much money on during that Kickstarter campaign. Kevin and the gang also have their own speculative talk on the Hellboy movie. And here's a sample of that here. Uh, at least they, they did show some footage, and I don't mind it being con exclusive, I guess, because, you know, if I'm paying 40 bucks to get into a panel, I guess I should get some exclusive stuff, so... Sure. It sucks for Alex us. Alex was waiting in line for half a day. No, it wasn't that long. It was some ridiculous amount of time, like eight hours. Oh my god, something. And that, to make sure that he got in there to cover it for us. Yeah, and not related to the movie itself, but those uh, exclusive prints and like the timelines. Apparently, those went like insanely fast. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I want to get one of those really bad. But so, how many Hellboy fans are not currently using that oh. as a phone wall? One hundred percent. <laughs> yep. It's just the best picture. It's so like, great. If we got nothing else out of the convention, that's pretty much worth it. would be fine if they said the movie was canceled and I got a print of that. Yep. <laughs> but everybody gets one of these posters. Yeah. Fair. Fair. All right. That sounds very cool. Check that out. And don't forget to enter their contest to win all sorts of signed goodies from BPRD artist extraordinaire Lawrence Campbell. You can find all that at Mignolaverse.com. Hey, Danielle, what are we doing today on the podcast? Hey, what we're doing is we, we, what, we let, what we do is we read a Hellboy comic, so our BPRG comic, and then we'll talk about it. We're friends. We're talking about Hellboy, and then you guys listen to it, and you talk about it, and then we look at what you're talking about, and then we talk about what you're talking about, and then we do it again. Yeah. That's, that's the podcast. That's exactly what we do here. And so we're going to start off with our listener feedback, which is important because, you know, it's a book club and, you know, y'all are members of the book club. It's not just the three of us. It's yeah, it's everybody who's talking about it. So that's what we're doing here is called Hey, You Damn Guys. Hey, You Damn Guys. Go for it. Last week, I tried unsuccessfully to keep my composure as I talked about one of our late friends Jerry Turnbull said, very nice and moving tribute to our friend Case. Tom Hardman said, positive and inclusive communities are increasingly valuable. It's true. And it's so important to take the time and appreciate the people who foster and encourage their existence. Here's to you, Case. 
Robert Lindbergh said, Oh man, I never knew or interacted with Case myself, but that was a beautiful, very nice tribute to uh, HB Friend. Rest in peace. So thanks a lot for all those words. NDN Funkadelic on Instagram also drew a really cool dictionary infernal version of Hellboy. Oh, Did man. you guys check that, that out? Was so, so sweet. Good. <laughs> really, really liking those. And I was not expecting that many people to jump on that. But yeah, it's awesome. I, everyone's versions of that is just super good. So oh. that was awesome to look at. And I like how. He did the right hand of doom as a giant key. Yeah, that was well, because he says the key is in his right hand, so it was a very like just a different interpretation of that as what it would have oh, looked yeah. like back then. It's just really cool. Yeah, and it it, it was very well done. Yeah, <laughs> and if they yeah, and if they hadn't like seen Hellboy, yeah. they were just going off from the from the description. That's what they might have thought he would really look cool. like. So that's yeah. really cool. He said, "This is as close as I could get to the dictionary infernal style." I work nights and listen to your podcast on the way home in the morning. I figured instead of the right hand of doom, it should be a literal key. I might try again after I get some sleep and a chance to look over more of the reference materials. It's not finished, but I had to pack it up at work before the day crew got here. So, yeah, thanks a lot. I think it looked really great. Thanks for sharing that. And a lot of that type of art, that style was very, like, literal looking. So, it's really neat. Comic Book Explorer said on Instagram of the image, I absolutely love the way Mignola uses the biblical prophecy of the apocalypse and weaves it into Hellboy. Really drives the occult horror themes. He does this while at the same time introducing a world of folklore and fantasy with fairies and wolves and other folklore entities like the Baba Yaga and Kashi the Deathless popping up here and there. And Ross Radke, who drew the last version of the Dictionary Inferno Hellboy that we got to enjoy, said, Awesome! I was hoping to see more takes on this idea. Yeah, really cool. We had some feedback from Nick Stewart. He wrote us an email. He said, Hey, love the show, and very excited that you guys are getting into the BPRD series, which I coincidentally just reread. I just wanted to throw out a small reading order thought based on my read. When you do the War on Frog stories, I highly recommend fitting in the Abe Sapien story, Lost Lives. It takes place during the same time frame, and it's nice to see more of what Abe and Roger are up to during that time. Mm. Also gives you an intro into a couple of other agents who eventually become regulars. Anyway, just a thought, keep up the great work. And Nick, we you will be happy to know we will be doing that. We, we we will be incorporating cool. that story. Awesome. At the Rage Cage on Twitter said, <laughs> "Hellboy Book Club. I'm a huge Hellboy BPRD and other Mignola Works fan. I've now subscribed to your podcast. Show me what you got. Okay. So I oh. hope that you've been enjoying the. And he posted that yeah. uh, Rick and Morty show. Show oh, me what you've got, man. little guy. Prepare there, so. to listen to three nerds just <laughs> being completely nerdy. The Oingo Boingo on Twitter said, Great episode and I'm loving the show. Something important to remember, I think, is that as sordid a past as Christian and especially the Catholic Church has, it is still treated with a lot of respect in the Hellboy universe, as some of Hellboy's best friends are priests. Keep up the good work. I'm enjoying what you're doing. I think Oingo Boingo's right there. Mignola takes the time, typically, with both good and evil entities to show that there are kind of shades of gray, right? I think in Bride of Hell, we had some where, you know, the Knights of St. Hagen were kind of the bad guys, and the demon was the good guy, and then in another story, it'll be the reverse. I I think that that reader is right. I think Mignola does show respect towards that 
all that the is true. yeah all all it he seems like he sure shows does. he shows a lot of respect for all the beliefs and yeah. um our good pal Alex Aronowitz said on Twitter to be fair regarding all forms of Christianity being out of control they just happen to be the best at it because they spread faster I find being out of control and awful and intolerant is a staple of all institutional religions. So there we go. That is true. (laughs) And I will add to that, that why did they spread so fast? Let's unpack that. You're free to do your own research. Hint, violence is the answer. Yeah, I I actually, I I do think that Mignola does a very good job of not just like portraying the Christian religions, uh, but also like you know, these different mythologies that we see. And he does a really good job of not just saying, like, bam, these guys are evil. Bam, these guys are right. good, you know. Right, sure. Um, it's like we've talked about many times, is that they really do have a sense of, um, you know, not everything is good and not everything is evil. Everything is just everything. Right. Yeah. yeah. That is true. Some feedback on the Hollow Earth. Drew Campbell said, regarding our discussion of Gogoroth, Yep, it does sound like a metal band name. And there is a Norwegian black there metal a, band yeah. named Gargaroth. Interesting. <laughs> Mark Tweedell said, I like that there's no romance between Abe, Liz, or Hellboy. The emphasis is always on them being a family. I think of Hellboy as the protective older brother and Liz and Abe being the younger siblings, very close in terms of age. Roger eventually joins as the youngest sibling, and you can see in both Abe and Liz that protective aspect emerge. It's an interesting way to look at that. Would that make uh, Johan like their their uncle? Maybe. <laughs> Shows or up like with a their cousin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I actually, I do like the whole kind of family dynamic. And while it would be kind of neat to see Liz and Abe go one way, but it also would be super awesome if it never went that way because hmm. too many times it's like what's expected of uh, a male-female relationship on a hmm on some sort of property. Right. And it'd be nice to see Jim just be friends and partners. And I do also like that Liz and Kate, you know, they're they're interacting in the field. They are interacting, you know, just in general as as people might talking about work related stuff or talking about the situation they find themselves currently in and not boys or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's very it's very good. Yeah. Drew Campbell said, I had forgotten how important Hollow Earth is, both in terms of character development and the overall story mythology. By the time later Hellboy BPRD story arc started picking up on the threads introduced here, the details of the story had started slipping from my mind, and it got relegated in my mind to a place of good but mostly inconsequential story. And yet now I see that it might be the most single important story as far as showing the relationships of the core characters and the mythology it introduces becomes a key part of later storylines and then in parentheses he put trying not to be spoilery this is why i've been dying to reread all this stuff for so long there are so many connections to make and some that can really only be caught with multiple readings i'm a little bummed that i haven't had the time to keep up with the reading along with you guys but i'll get to it sooner or later and I know the experience will be richer for having listened along with the Hellboy Book Club. Aww. So thanks, Drew. Yeah. And I, I think I've noticed as well a bunch of things that I didn't notice before um, in rereading all this stuff. So it's been really great to reread all these um, BPRD stories. Well, that's the cool thing about opening up the book club to absolutely anyone is that you know people will leave comments or write in emails or whatever and talk about, hey, did you notice this? Did you notice that? I have an observation for you. Think about it in this way. And I think about things that in certain ways that I wouldn't normally think about it in that way. And so that's, yeah, that's very valuable. We had another letter from our good pal, Briny, regarding Hollow Earth. He said, 
perhaps even stranger than the discovery of the decaying Nazi U-boat in a Himalayan cavern, is that this is a detail pulled from a truly bizarre real-world conspiracy theory and ties into even more bizarre but true historical events. Historical events which are key to a great deal of lore present in the Hellboy and especially in the Hollow Earth. What are these events? Tell me It is well documented that the Nazis spent a good deal of time exploring Tibet between 38 and 39 with a strong anthropological angle to their research. Indeed, there's pretty compelling evidence that they were looking for the same people as Liz. Jumping back in time to the late 1870s, it's worth taking note of a Russian philosopher and occultist by the name of Helena Blavatsky. And so we talked about Blavatsky yeah. a little bit on our discussion of the island. I mean, Rasputin was also a guy, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was an um, advisor to the Romanovs. Yeah, yeah. Blavatsky, co-founder of the Theosophical Society and a name which occasionally crops up in the Mignolaverse stories, this was a movement that admired the great leaps that scientists like Darwin were making, but didn't really fancy any of that painstaking research, instead preferring to just make up a load of mad bullocks and say that it came to them via magic. Yeah. They published, for example, a pamphlet about the hollow nature of the Earth and how one might travel within it, called the Hollow Globe in 1884. Blavatsky was one of the first to pull forward the idea that a precursor Hyperborean race had existed, being the descendants of a purely spirit-based race, complete with advanced technology and all. There's a huge amount of Blavatsky's theology running through Mignola's lore. Wow, her, yeah. Her beliefs that humans are composed of a divine spark, an astrofluid body, and a physical body. Her claim that she spent time perfecting her magical skills in a Tibetan monastery where she learned an ancient language preserved by the monks. The Hyperborean society begat a line of root races moving away from the divine and becoming the humans we are today. One of these races being the Aryan race. So we talked about oh, that a little bit. Right. Yep. Even though the Theosophical Society itself was pretty woke given its 1875 creation, their beliefs were discovered by an all-around bad bloke and SS top brass Heinrich Himmler, oh. a man who in a workplace, <laughs> a man who in a workplace was full of paranoid, murderous lunatics, was still usually in the running for employee of the month. He totally bought the idea of these pure spiritual races and set out to document their existence. That's why, because uh, uh, you <laughs> you are talking about this. All this like fantastical stuff, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Someone really thought all this, and it's maybe got some sort of real-world connection to discovering some sort of people in these mountains, and obviously it's not exactly right, but what is the real... And it's, I'm just thinking about all the, the possibilities in my head about, oh, what's the real-world connection to this lore and... All this kind of stuff that's really interesting and fascinating. And then you're like, yeah. And then they thought that it was the Aryan race. And I'm like, oh, God, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Why not? Come on. There's compelling evidence that one of the objectives of the German Tibet expedition was to study the physiology of the locals with the aim of unearthing examples of this ancient Aryan root race. Now, if we've had enough of real historical events, the more creatively paranoid fringe historians posit that this mission was a huge success that the Nazis found the ancient knowledge complete with information on how to access the hollow earth via submarine, and even went as far as establishing bases within. These bases would be testing grounds for all manner of exotic technology. The submarine that we see in this story is most likely 
U-209, a real submarine that disappeared in 1940, which, according to proponents of the Nazi conspiracy, took a one-way trip into the hollow earth, somehow releasing a handwritten letter explaining their predicament to the world, presumably from within the bowels of the earth, moments before they were set upon by the king of fear. Briny. Wait, so wait. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot to unpack. (laughs) So the the ship that we see in Hollow Earth is a reference to this conspiracy theory that the Nazis actually went into the Hollow Earth. Okay, well. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that's really, so that's an Easter egg within a conspiracy theory Easter egg kind of deal. That's a little detail that I would have never picked up on. Yeah. It it just seemed like a like a Nazi sub throwaway thing, and yeah. then, bam! All this stuff behind it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> also, why would the root Aryan race be from in Tibet? That just uh, seems. That doesn't. Yeah, it well, doesn't why, make any sense. Fucking white supremacists are always trying to find some way to turn brown people's accomplishments, black and brown people's accomplishments, into their own. It's ridiculous. Oh. Some feedback on Soul of Venice, which we discussed last week. I posted our little teaser image of what we were going to read. At Volca's Hunters said, oh my god, I love this. Gives me a Wolves of St. August vibe, and that's my favorite story. Edgar Sid said, I love how Omin illustrates Roger in Soul of Venice. His artwork perfectly balances how I view him as someone who towers over his teammates and being a powerhouse yet giving him soft and very human facial expressions. I get a real Justice League Unlimited vibe from his art, and definitely agree that the story would lend well to an animated movie. Could have easily been a good addition to the Blood and Iron and Sword of Storms movies. Tom Hardman said, I'd love an omen take on Lobster Johnson, all 1930s art deco and shadows. Love his work on this. It feels Mignola influence, but not pastiche. And Jan Niklas said, Nothing much to say this time. Some of this stuff wasn't even published in Germany, so I guess he oh. didn't. He he hasn't been able to read all this. Wow! But That's I wanted to. Com- sad. <laughs> yeah, that, that is very sad. But he said I wanted to comment a bit on Danielle's comments. Yay! Different opinions regarding Abe. It's funny how you can think different about somebody. Maybe it's because I read more, but I always found something off about Abe. I mean, Liz can be gloomy and depressed but she still tries and is quite a social person. Abe seems to be happiest when he's alone and just wants to be left alone. HB and Liz are the exceptions of the rule and he's functional, but still, hmm, maybe it reminds me of my own insecurities when I was younger. I'm still more of a two person than group guy. And I like to swim. Oh my God, I am Abe. That's what he says. <laughs> well, a lot of people are like that. I mean, some people do better one-on-ones. People like to have, to be around big crowds yeah. some people would can think of nothing worse than being around big crowds so yeah i do see abe as kind of like a solitary character like that but i think when he's with the team sure. as we kind of see in this yeah. one he is pretty social he is like well able yeah. to manage that role well everyone's just a little different i think it's it's good though to have everybody on the team they have their own personalities and that's you know it it brings them to life you can really relate to this character or that character or... yeah when it comes to me, like, you know, I'm pretty social with you guys and all my friends, but, like, I guess in other situations, I'm just like, mm, I'm going to sit back here and I just kind of... Right, yeah. 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 not, yeah. Yeah. He also said, Roger changed quite a lot through the series. I like his more sophisticated personality in Almost Colossus and Conqueror Worm. 
so it felt like a retcon in BPRD when he turns into the group's child. On the other hand, it helped to change him into a more interesting character, so it's okay. Still, it's so weird that the same guy that prayed like a Shakespearean actor in Almost Colossus turned into naked Pinocchio. <laughs> so I thought that was that was kind of an interesting, interesting comment. comment. Yeah. Yeah, and oh my god, Miles Gunter shared us on Twitter, and he gave a shout-out of our discussion on the soul of Venice, and Omin even chimed in and said, we had a lot of fun on that. That was very exciting. That was. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> Some feedback on Night Train. Jerry Turnbull said, the panel where we see all the people in the train car, all the soldiers and everyone, he said, if this panel isn't a nod to GI Blues, I'll eat my blue suede shoes. <laughs> And he posted a picture, and it yeah, looks it, it, it looks, looks pretty. Like uh, yeah, it's That's it's spot cool. on. <laughs> yeah, That's great. So I posted when Hellboy sees the Nazis, and then when Roger sees them too sure. on on Night yeah. Train. And Edgar said, "said I can almost hear that Nazi jumping out of the window, dubbed with the Wilhelm the scream." <laughs> and uh, NDN Funkadelic said, "Those damn Nazis." Mm. Feedback on Dark Waters. Diego Labra said, the Guy Davis tenure on BPRD is sublime. It is not praised enough in the corner of internet comic criticism. It's great. No, I yeah. love Guy Davis's stuff. Oh, yeah. Comic Book Explorer said, Dark Waters was great. I believe Henry Hood was referenced in that issue. He gets referenced a lot. I don't think we had a reference to Henry Hood. If we missed it, uh, maybe I missed that. But he's a character that we might see pop up later. And at Imperious Rex Show said on Twitter... This and the Dead were my first exposure to BPRD outside of Hellboy. That Guy Davis art hooked me, and I never escaped. Thank you for all the feedback, and remember, if you're enjoying the show, to give us a like or follow us on social media. Give us a rate and review on iTunes or on our Facebook page. That really helps us out. And now we're going to get into our book club for today. And first, we're going to talk about Born Again. So if you're reading this in the omnibus version or in the trade paperback version... This story serves as the prologue for the dead, but it should really fall here chronology-wise. And if you don't believe me, just ask Mark Tweedell, who put together the Multiversity-slash-Mignolaversity reading order, which we are loosely following. Mark has been helping me out with our remix of the reading order, and so I think this will be all good. Born Again was originally published as part of the Hellboy premiere edition in March 2004. The issue, an exclusive published through Wizard Magazine number 148, also contained the Hellboy story, The Penangalan. So this story and The Penangalan were in one issue, and this um, issue had a bunch of different covers, including one with Guy Davis showing the members of the BPRD. trying to carve through carefully and Liz scolds Roger for being so impatient well he was going to take forever with that thing Roger says I like how uh, Abe is full on like archaeology mode like going to preserve the site not damage anything right. Roger's all like I'll punch a hole through it for you <laughs> bam I also think the line I'm concerned about the physical integrity of the site is also might be referring to this could collapse on us right yeah and kill us all so maybe chill the fuck out with punching through walls <laughs> Johan sent something behind the wall, and he was correct. The team come across some giant bones of an unknown creature. Liz calls it a Tyrannosaurus, but Abe says the bones aren't that old. It doesn't actually look like a Tyrannosaurus at all? No, it really so, okay. doesn't. <laughs> and Abe suggests that Johan inspect the bones. I can try, Abraham, Johan says, to make the dead talk. Always it is better that the life force is near. These remains are old. The spirit long departed. And I like all these kind of insights into his power. 
you know, since right, he's right, kind of yeah. come on board, we're kind of getting more insights into what he can do and the limits of it. Are the uh, finger holes on his glove? Are those new? Uh, I don't remember seeing them in the when he first got introduced. Or of course, I could just be mistaken. No, yeah, those were there. Yeah, that's they're there. He, yeah, that's how he transfers. His There's even um. See, I always thought he did it to his helmet for some dumb reason. No, it's the <laughs> it's the fingers. There's even uh, I think in the concept art for the last stuff that we read, Mignola even draws a little up close, like to show those little holes to make sure that the artists draw that. We also learn that they're in the city of Caulfield, and it's a weird place. Johan is able to communicate with the creature. And it tells him, I was slain here, cruelly, by Shanchen, and I stay here. I wait for you. And the creature throws Roger aside. Abe shoots at it, but doesn't get any results. Abe yells for Liz to intervene, but she's worried that since the creature is using Johan's ectoplasm, she might kill him. Johan says it's eating him. And I just really like this creature coming to life and everything. It's a really cool design. Yeah, it's super creepy. Oh yeah, uh, I like kind of like the half bone, half ectoplasm. Because there's, yeah. yeah. there's not enough ectoplasm to make the whole creature. Oh yeah, That's no, great. I, mean, yeah. I just like I, I just like the design. No, of I it. agree. It's yeah. super cool. Yeah, it's neat. The team desperately fight the creature, and it says, "Here I am, Shanchen. Here I am. I will sing at sunrise. I will paint my face with the blood of your sons, and your daughters' bellies will burst with my seed, and the night sky will find me dancing." Gross. Abe tells Liz, do it now, and she just lights up the monster. So she was worried about Johan, but at this point, they're too outnumbered, and Johan's just kind of drifting off. He says that it's eating him, so she has no choice. And th this is pretty cool as the creature gets lit on fire. I really like the way Guy Davis does this panel. Look, that smoke. It's Johan, Abe exclaims, and Johan returns to his suit. We see the ectoplasm go in through those finger holes. And Johan says, my soul when he pops up that's what i got that translation as i didn't look one up this time yeah Dude, as, is that is that a common phrase like as in you know I right know say, my god right like, it know, might be something a, like that or i don't is know that like you know i don't direct. know i don't know as the team recovers johan says not so helpful that creature but I think this Shanshan was one of our North American Aboriginal shamans. Shout out to Aboriginal shamans. Yeah. If we bother to search this tomb, likely we would discover some primitive cave paintings that tell the story of this monster's defeat. Maybe not primitive, but definitely cave paintings. Right. As <laughs> yeah. Johan talks, Roger finds a rune with a carved stone in it, and he removes the stone. So I think that's funny that... What Johan is talking about, Roger comes across it right yeah, as he's he talking. Why is he fucking around with this stuff, though? Like ancient things <laughs> out of the wall? Can he, you not do that, please? He pulls out this carved stone and he just kind of looks around puzzled. Outside, Abe tells the colonel that the BPRD will send a recovery crew tomorrow. And Liz asks Johan if he's okay. Yes, good. Only I have this sensation, a feeling I never thought I'd have again. I'm very warm. <laughs> And we see that little puff of kind of air come out. I really like that story. So, yeah, that's a cute little story. And it's just this this prologue kind of serves as the – it serves as a prologue for the dead, but it also serves as a prologue for everything that we're about to read from here on out. So now we're going to go back to Omnibus 1 to read Plague of Frogs. That's the Abe Sapien one, though. Plague of Frogs was published as a five-issue miniseries from March to July of 2004. We open in New Jersey. At a security desk, a man says to the guard that it's very important he see Dr. Platt. He says he's Professor Derby. 
and the guard isn't going to let him in, but Dr. Platt comes out and greets Derby. And he tells the guard, it's all right, he can go ahead and come in. Platt tells Derby that they aren't allowed visitors, but Platt admires Derby and is flattered to learn that Derby has been following his bread mold research. I thought that was kind of, yeah, interesting. Wow, you know, so exciting bread mold. Well, it is, though. I mean, isn't that where we get penicillin from? Yeah, for sure. Derby asks to see what Platt is working on and seems just really weird this whole time. Like, he's just got a weird expression on his face. Guy Davis does a good job of making sure we know that he's being a weirdo. Right. I would very much like your opinion on this, Platt says, and he reveals this giant fungus mushroom in a glass containment. Six weeks ago, it was the size of my thumbnail. Structurally speaking, it's a common fungus, not unlike lycoperidon. And that's a puffball mushroom. Yeah. And it kind of looks like this. When I looked up the puffball sure. mushroom, yeah. it, it looks like There's this There's a shape. lot of mushrooms that look like this guy. And it's it's not uncommon. As we all know, you've got uh, the spores. They They germinate and they get into whatever substrate they like. You know, it could be... It's the so- a particular kind of soil or could be like um, a lot of times it's in the animal droppings like uh, cow patties and stuff like that. And they uh, they form into this mycel- mycelium and they form into the primordia and then you get and it's a lot of people will remark that overnight these mushrooms popped up in my yard. Well, it is not quite overnight because over a long period of time, all this stuff is forming and it's you can't really see it because it's uh. super small and tiny. And then, yeah. Overnight, the the mushroom will pop up and the cap will bloom and then it starts all over. That's where the spores come from is the, the top of the cap there. And so you'll, you know, it'll be forming itself for a long time. It'll be super little and then all of a sudden it'll explode and mushroom up into, right. into the caps. Good job. Thank you for that. Well, I happen to know a little bit about mushrooms, okay. but we won't get into that. <laughs> And Derby just keeps saying, my God, when he's looking at the fungus. And suddenly he takes out a gun and he shoots Platt. And he starts banging on the glass with the gun. I really like that really kind of desperate. Yeah. He looks like really crazy in that panel. This is this could be the cold open to an X-Files episode. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you already know this is about to go south. Oh, yeah. It's like before it's, he shoots him. It's like as soon as you see the giant yeah, fungus, you're like, okay, something's abnormal. going down. <laughs> What's it going to be? Bam. Ooh. Uh, Shouting. Yeah. <laughs> so the security rushes in. Master Derby says, the master commands. We hear gunshots and screaming. And we cut to a different scene. Bodies falling underwater. And it seems like Abe Sapien is observing it. Do you hear sunken bells are tolling for thee? Out of the caverns of numb yabisk, dark and terrible deep, the ocean is calling her children home. Interesting. In the vision, Abe falls down the hole after the bodies into the light. And Abe wakes up in his tub, terrified. We are at the BPRD headquarters in Fairfield, Connecticut, and Johan sits at a kitchen table. Abe enters holding his head, and he says he had a bad dream. Johan says he doesn't require sleep. I like how he's just sitting there. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I just like, did you just sit at the table for like five hours? There. It's super cute. I don't know. I just found that. Yeah. I found that humorous. Yeah. He's just sitting there. Liz enters in a robe. She asks, like the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz? In the books, Dorothy sleeps, and the Scarecrow sits up all night watching over her. Creepy. No offense. I like these BPRD mugs, too. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice that. That's great. 
None taken, Johan replies. I am aware that my unique condition can be disturbing. It's just that it's early, Johan, Abe says. I love that. <laughs> yeah, we get into the whole, I haven't had my coffee yet, yep. spiel. But I love all the details. It's, um, Guy Davis does a good job of, you know, the the, the background doesn't, it, it doesn't distract from the story or from the storytelling or anything like that, but it, the fact that it's all there is is just yeah it looks lived in yeah, yeah it's really it's he pays attention to these little details and it's really comfortable like the bulletin board has little notices on it a towel rack has a towel on it it's just very it makes it a home you know you feel yeah. like you're at home well I was gonna say that the the little kitchen brick area also has <laughs> it has kind of a combination feel like something at home but also office related because they are at work too you know and on your lunch break you know on top of the microwave someone's Mm -hmm. put a salt and pepper shaker or something you know it's very Mm -hmm. i don't know i just found that very interesting yeah liz mentions that her thoughts are so well ordered after two years in the monastery at agartha she doesn't dream at all Mm. kate enters and she asks if anyone has seen roger Good morning, Kate. I think he's in the library, Johan says. And we cut to this shot of Roger in the library. And he's just looking at this book of Roman gods, and he says, Cloacina. And this is, of course, a reference to the soul of Venice, which we read last week. Yep. He's probably spitting. It's a cute little cutaway. It is. It's funny. In there, reading that book. Yeah, I I loved it. I was like, aww. Grab him, Kate says. We're going to New Jersey. Great, Liz replies. I like how she's like, The only real reaction to going to New Jersey. And one thing I liked about this little scene is Kate is already dressed and ready to go. Like, they're all just getting up. Liz is in her robe. Abe, like, literally just woke up. And Kate gets in there and she's like, All right, team, we're We're going to New Jersey. Ready to rock and roll. (laughs) She's already dressed. She's already ready to go. She probably gets up at like six or seven and starts doing stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you live where you work, you know. She just, just seems like an early bail. riser for sure. Yeah. And I felt like that you called out the yeah. fact that she's already dressed and telling people where they're going before they've even had coffee. That's yeah. Great. And so in the helicopter, we're with the team and we get the return of Liz's beret. Yeah. <laughs> Liz is rocking that beret right. just oh, like yeah. she did back in the Mignola stories. Or back in the Mignola drawn stories is what I should say. Because, yeah, he wrote this? Or? Yeah, he did write this one. In the helicopter, Kate briefs the team. She says they're going to a warehouse that the Bureau has been using since the 80s to store things they don't want the public to know about. There's been a shooting there, and since it's pretty weird stuff, they're going to check it out. I like how, but, because she introduces the idea that, well, somebody, this morning somebody got in there, there was a shooting, and Abe's like, okay, sounds like the police should handle that. (laughs) Sounds like a job for the police. And she's like, well, there's weird stuff too. And he's just like, oh, okay, yeah, because he's still thinking about that fucked up dreamy huh? right he's, he's, not, he's, not, into it. he's not into it here and they ask him if he's okay and he just says that he had a bad dream roger says i had a dream last night i was a child i had parents and a round toy and so what did you guys think of roger's dream here i thought it was so sweet to be yeah. honest with you he's all I like, thought it was sweet yeah. yeah and he just says very simply it made me sad yeah and i, and I like how he calls a ball a round toy yeah. right he doesn't really even know what yeah. a ball is and so all of that just combined just was like Aw. i guess i hadn't even noticed the retconning i i do like his character the way that he interacts with the team like this but i hadn't noticed that yeah was a I, I didn't really notice that yeah. either until jen niklas comment yeah. but i do like this little dream so he finds this ball and he takes it outside and he's all la 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 and then like a lightning bolt just comes down and strikes the little boy playing with the ball 
I wonder if this like will lead to something like where we find out more about Roger. I don't know. Than uh, yeah. what he than more than just being a homunculus, right? You know. Yeah. yeah, that's a bad one. Abe says, but I think mine was worse. At the warehouse, an agent updates the team. We see that after Derby shot Platt, he was shot by the guards, and we're watching this all in this like creepy, grainy security footage. At least they took the time to actually piece together the relevant footage. Right. That's, you know, working with local law enforcement, apparently, if you're on a if you're on a team of paranormal investigators, it can sometimes be a little bit less cooperative. Right. So that's interesting that he's ready to cooperate with them. Well, we saw um, in Dark Waters, the constable was pretty cooperative with them. Yeah. yeah. But isn't this also a BPRD facility? Well, this is a SWAT team member, though, oh. and I guess that, I don't. I wouldn't guess that all of them are used oh, yeah, to working right. with the BPRD. I just think about. I I hate to keep going back to the X Files, but I think about when Mulder and Scully show up, and they're like, "Hey, we're from a special branch of the FBI where we investigate UFOs," and people are just like, "Uh huh, sure, right. whatever." <laughs> and more often than not, you know, local law enforcement is very much like, "Go fuck yourselves." Anyway, I thought that was that was cool. And we see that after. Derby shot Plant. He was shot by the guards, and then the fungus reached out to Derby's corpse and went in through the bullet holes. And we see right before the security footage footage ends that his eyes open and all the power went out in the building. Everyone is accounted for except the two guards and the professor. Mm. So inside the warehouse, the team split up. Liz and Abe go downstairs in the lab with a bunch of weird specimens and. Um, I like how Liz calls Abe the boss. She says, you're the boss. There was a little conversation in Hollow Earth where they were all t- also telling Abe that he was the boss. Right. Yeah. I like uh, Liz's little uh, sarcastic jab here as they're going down the stairs. Oh, wow. Too bad there are no good places down here for bad guys. To right. Hide. It's, just a, <laughs> it's just a bad guy hiding place smorgasbord down there. Right. I have to say, I think Liz gets some of the best dialogue. For sure. Uh, well, she'd probably be very fun to write, yeah. Yeah, and she's, she's got that kind of just like that, that humor, and it's just, it just cracks me up. Yeah, <laughs> that, that dark, sarcastic humor, yeah. for sure. Yeah, she's great. And well, she would be, though, I mean, yeah. you know, considering her, yeah. yeah. In the lab, they find a bunch of weird specimens, including frogs and monkeys, which we've seen a lot in these stories. Liz can sense that Abe is off. She tells him that he's going to have to snap out of it and shake his dream off. Abe says it's not his dream. He's worried for Roger. Why? Because he was grown in a jar and left in a Romanian basement for 500 years? Because the closest thing he had to a family turned out to be a giant made out of human fat and Roger had to melt him? And we get a flashback, Roger being found in Wake the Devil. We know his story, Abe. We know Johan's story. We know my story. I guess the only guy whose story we don't know is you. And I like these little panels that we get kind of recreating some of these. We've heard of Liz's story, but we haven't actually seen it. And I think this is the first time that we kind of actually see that event where maybe, you know, she's Mm. burned her family or whatever. What are you dreaming about, Abe? She says... And I just really like the pacing of all this. There's really good pacing as, you know, Abe thinks about himself in the tube that they found him in. And then there are just these two panels of just their faces. Like it's like a beat while she's just kind of looking at him and he doesn't say anything. Upstairs, Johan and Roger find Dr. Platt. Johan has no sense of him, but senses something else. And downstairs, Abe and Liz hear something. Upstairs, Johan and Roger turn over Platt and they see this weird mark on his forehead. That's not a bullet hole, Roger says. 
And on the walkie-talkie with Abe and Liz, Johan attempts to examine the mark with his ectoplasm. And Johan just freaks out as his ectoplasm touches that little hole on the forehead. I just, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> when he's flipping out, he's like, Whoa! like it's just yeah. it reminds me of one of those guys in front of the, the like used car. Tube. Yeah, yeah, yeah arm flailing, t- inflatable the tube. tube man. Yeah, the inflatable flaily tube guys for sure. He does kind of look like that as he freaks out. <laughs> sorry. And downstairs, now I kind of want to. I want one of those shaped like Ron, shaped uh, like him, yeah. Johan right now. Yeah, that would be great. Someone should make one of those. Put it on your lawn on Halloween. And Abe and Liz are confronted by one of these security guards, and he turns into a fucking frog, frog monster. monster. Oh, my God. This Guy Davis frog monster is epic. Oh, man. He just looks so disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> and we get some amazing action beats. One of the frog monsters knocks out Liz, and Abe has to shoot at them. And I just really like all these panels of them struggling. Guy Davis does a really good job with all this motion. Abe takes down the frog monsters and upstairs, Roger looks after Johan as Platt turns into a frog monster. And so I really like this um, action beat. You know, Roger, uh, he's attending to Johan. He turns around. He sees this frog. He sees Platt turning into a frog monster. And then the next panel, we just see the frog monster being thrown through yeah. the wall. Um, I just really like that kind of pacing. Sure. And Roger just says, frog monster. (laughs) This is bad, Abe says. Real bad, Liz says. And there's just all these frogs, all the ones that are in the cages, just like making those frog sounds, or whatever, croaking. And I just really like the idea of like all this action, but then the sound is just all these frogs. Like it would really make it really kind of intense and... Very creepy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, especially now that the action is over and you're just looking around, it's just frogs everywhere. Right, it's very yeah. Unsettling. You should find some frog noise and splice it. Oh, I, d- I know. That, that would be great. Yeah, I should do that. Back at the BPRD headquarters, the scientists conclude that a spore from the fungus turned Platt and the security guards into frog monsters. And Roger and Abe examine one of the monsters in this case. Abe says that he's seen them at Cavendish Hall. And they reference one of the frog monsters killing Broom. And so, remember all this? We saw the frog monsters at Cavendish Hall. Those brothers had been turned into frogs. Yeah. And then Roger kind of talks about that he saw the frog monsters also in Conquer Worm. Um, that gas that came out of the Hunt Castle space capsule turned all those guys into frog monsters. And they and Roger mentions that he misses Hellboy. Hellboy kind of comes up in the conversation here also. I like that little detail. I like how Roger's not wearing his... Uh... His outside jacket. He's just all walking around. He's just normal. totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, just, he, he's just got that... Um, his look port his chest hole and then he's got that thing that's covering his privates and that's about it that's all he really wears liz also mentions that according to rasputin the cavendish frog guys were infected by that thing he brought down from the arctic sadu what's his name sadu hem a scientist says we are introduced here to professor o'donnell and i love this guy he just starts freaking out about sadu hem yeah and manning intervenes it is Saduham, O'Donnell yells, 
Abish et Eb Saduhem. I warned you, Manning. I warned you. And now it's free and it's inside this man derby and it's out there. I told you to destroy it when you had the chance. And Kate calls out Tom. She's like, uh, I like that she's not afraid to call out her superior. She obviously didn't know about any of this. Yeah, she's like, uh, do you want to explain some shit to us right now? Immediately? And Tom tells her that during a routine follow-up at Cavendish Hall, after 10 years of no activity, they found a tiny bit of plant material. A fungus. This fucking guy. Can I just say, this fucking guy continuously pisses me off. Right. Why is he still in charge? Yeah, I mean, the fact that he says, like, they go out there every six months. So every six months for ten years. And, well, but that's what I'm saying. It's and like, then, like, he he's gets like, this. oh, well, we found, we found a tiny bit of plant material. There, we're in a place where there's never been any signs of life. So we decided to grow it. Yeah. Like, he, what the he's... fuck is wrong with this dude? Kate should be in charge. Um, that's just all I have to say about that. I mean, it's just like his attitude just goes more into show, like why Hellboy quit. The he's just, yeah, he's just you constantly know? making these terrible calls. Anyway, uh, yeah, completely agree. <laughs> right, and so the material has been allowed to grow in the lab, and O'Donnell goes on. You thought he had destroyed? No, he has resurrected himself out of the muck and the slime as he was spawned in the beginning and all his brethren, and all his masters. Now he hides himself inside a human skin and goes forth in the world like a man? It is written, He who was last to sleep shall be the first to wake, and leave all foul things to the earth. Trouble them not in their holes and their prisons. And mostly, and firstly, beware of him, for his bowl is forged of coffin nails and made in the shape of a skull, and out of it will come a plague of frogs. And we see a really good Guy Davis version of Saduhem from Seed of Destruction. And yeah, I that's just super good. I just really wanted good. to point out this this quote apparently that O'Donnell was saying. Uh, the little footnote tells us that it's from Hans Werner Schlegel from Nuremberg, sixteen thirty two. So I couldn't find a reference to Hans Schlegel, but Nuremberg, nineteen sixty two. That's the year of the siege of Nuremberg. Uh, where there was a battle campaign that took place in that year about the imperial city of Nuremberg during the Thirty Years' War. All right, Professor, all right. Let's see if we can find your pills, and they lead O'Donnell away. But I'm so glad you guys get to meet uh, Professor O'Donnell. I really like him. He's a he's a great character to have as, as we go on. It seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders, and then all of a sudden they're like, all right, we're going to take you to get your, you know, let's go find your pills. What was that comment about let's find your pills? That's just a very weird Right. Well, he's just like, he's just a real wacky, and he just goes off the handle. He's like super paranoid about all this stuff. And I think one thing that's interesting that you get a little insight is he can speak that language. Yeah. You know, we keep seeing that language come up over and over, and it's usually in people that are trying to summon like really bad things yeah but here now we see the bprd they also have a weird guy that also knows how to read all this stuff Mm. he seems like the kind of guy who just really wanted to know what it said as opposed to i want to raise the dead right yeah yeah one of the agents connects derby to something called the new temple of mysteries where's that abe says and we cut to crab point michigan in the helicopter the agents approach a rickety old house Johan tells Abe that they are getting close. He can feel it. You sure you know what you're doing? Abe asks. I was just thinking about what happened in New Jersey. And he kind of is referring to how Johan freaked out. And I like how Abe isn't afraid to say like, hey, you know, you kind of freaked out back there. Like, are you going to be all right? Do you know what you're doing? 
<laughs> I was going to say, like, when we get to Crab Point, Michigan, like, down here, we see uh, another vehicle, a little burnout truck. <laughs> oh, yeah. We sure do. Yeah. One of the few vehicles, one of the few cars that we see. I know Mignola didn't draw this one, but it's kind of funny. to I kind of spot them now whenever. Guy yeah. Davis is drawing yeah. whole ass helicopters, though. Right. So yeah. I'm going to give him a pass <laughs> because drawing helicopters sucks. It's not, it's not yeah. fun. He does a really good job with it, too. And Johan says, yes, that will not happen again. Shortly before it happens again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Johan says it only happened because he had opened himself up to the ethereal plane and he was very vulnerable. I sense the alien presence, but I am prepared. And then he almost falls out of the helicopter right after he says that, too. And Abe has to kind of grab him back. Inside this rickety old church or temple or whatever it is, we see this robed guy surrounded by candles. And he speaks to a group. And there's a hole in the roof, and it kind of makes a spotlight on him as he's talking. Fucking cults, man. The enemy is upon us, but I shall not fear, for I have felt the stirring of my gods. Nor shall any who dwell in my house have cause to fear. The herald of the new day has come unto us. He has placed his seal upon you so that you will live forever. And in the background, we kind of see this big hooded shape. It's kind of covered with a shroud. And as he speaks, Johan starts to freak out again after he just said that he wasn't going to do that. Um, He starts to kind of lose it. And there's this horrible scene where the helicopter starts to go down. I just really love all the panic here as everything starts to kind of like... Roger flies out of the helicopter. Kate also flies out as the helicopter crashes. I really like the way that uh, Guy Davis drew the uh, helicopter crashing. Yeah. It's like you can feel it kind of like in slow motion, but also happening super fast. Yeah, yeah. And it's just paced really well as the helicopter crashes down and it like fades to black right there. Yeah. Roger lands nearby. He seems okay. And from a nearby building, a ball bounces towards him. This is a very it kind of a thing. Yeah. And he just had that dream. So, yeah, that's kind of weird. And I think it kind of throws him off when he finds it. And Roger catches the ball. He goes inside. And he starts asking hello, and then he tells himself, don't be afraid. Well, I thought he was like talking to whoever was in there saying, don't be afraid. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I think I think you're right. He Maybe he senses something in there, and he's telling that thing to be to not be afraid. I had a different reading on it, but yeah, I think I think you're probably right. It goes, who's in here? Don't be afraid. Where are you? Oh, yeah, so you're right. Yeah. So I think he is probably talking to somebody. He can sense that somebody's in there, I guess. And around back, Roger finds a little girl hunched over on the ground, and she's holding a frog. And he tells her again not to be afraid. Where are your parents? And she just says, the blessing of the Lord is upon me. And we see she has one of those weird little dots on her forehead. What what are those little dots? What do you think that is? Well, that's from where the uh, weird mushroom monster would reach out and, right. and plant spores into people's Oh, foreheads. so is that like a spore? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's not... Spores are actually very, very tiny, but I guess that's kind of the um, area where the mushroom monster touches people. Mm-hmm. And so it makes that little weird mark and, in you know, somewhere in there is the spore, I well, guess. I guess I took it as something like he's kind of sort of like kind of like a burning kind of thing to yeah, get the spore in there. Or, or right. maybe uh, it makes their skin all gross or something. Yeah, or like maybe reacting with like acid or yeah, something. Yeah, I have no idea. Well, mushrooms aren't acidic, but I don't know. I have no idea what's... Well, it's a monster. It's a magical yeah. monster. So. Well, I, didn't, I didn't mean acid itself. I mean like the way that sure. your skin reacts. Yeah, yeah, sure, exactly. Yeah, it's it's doing something gross for sure. 
And it is really gross as this little girl turns into this freakishly large frog monster, like the king frog monster almost. It's just like really huge. Showering over these, Roger. Yeah, well, yeah. And we've seen these weird tusk-like almost things before Mignola has drawn those. Yeah, good those. eye, Danielle. So in Seed of Destruction, Olafson turned yeah. into a giant frog monster just like this with those weird tusks. Good memory there. I like in the design, you can see the the dress that the little girl was wearing like, yeah. on um, the arm yeah, of the yeah. monster and a little bit on the leg, yeah, too. Yeah, it's really interesting. Whereas, like, you know, a lot of times it's like, oh, but you still have your pants on when, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> when you change into four sizes larger than you were. Right. right like, yeah. it's, it's not like yeah. when the Hulk is, like, hulking out, he still has those purple pants on or right. whatever. Like, <laughs> the dress is totally shredded up. Yeah, it's an interesting detail. And they have this really crazy fight. The At one point, the monster, the frog monster, makes Roger see the little girl. Right, and it kind of distracts him, or kind of makes him hesitate in punching it. So it's it's got these weird, almost like psychoactive powers. Right, of yeah. Being able to manipulate, yeah. being able to manipulate what it is that you see, kind of a thing. Which have we seen anything like that before? From I don't the frog think so. I, I didn't think so because I don't remember seeing that um, when we read um, what was it, Cedar Destruction, when we right. saw the frog. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we have seen that before. Because this is like telling us how the frog monsters become the frog monsters, right? Like they get infected with this thing and then they turn into the right. frog monster, and so it's kind of one of those things where some of them maybe have this ability and some mm-hmm. of them don't. Or right? Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. But remember how. Um, the the two Cavendish boys they were like you know cradling their mother so maybe yeah. there is something that's still might right, be right. okay we have seen there. kind of like that yeah. yeah yeah I mean maybe it wasn't a trick maybe the little girl really was trying to reach out to be helped right Johan is oh, able yeah. to detect stuff like that with his abilities is Roger able to detect things like that or he's just he, kind of absorbs energy right well in that last story like he knew that. On last week's story, Night Train, Roger knew that the aura had been placed on Liz. Yeah, so he can see he, he can kinda, see auras. Yeah, he so kind of has some can, yeah extrasensory powers. Maybe that's her aura kind of fucking with him. He can he can see that aura, but he can also see the frog monster, and he doesn't know which is which and whatever. Right, I don't know. it's just an interesting thing to think about. These panels are really great, where the frog monster grabs Roger by the leg and kind of just bashes him around, and um, finally. The frog monster, he gets this chain, and Roger's just like, do your worst. You are no match for, and the frog monster takes this chain, it wraps it around Roger's neck, and then it just kind of throws him over into this hole, and there's this horrible chunk as Roger lands, and then we just reveal that he's just left there hanging unresponsive. Horrible. Horrible. Yeah, that was really horrible. Yeah. Um, So this, I hate to keep coming back to this, but there are... Usually the frog monsters seem kind of mindless and yeah. they just like mindlessly attack you. This one seems like a thinking agent is able to reason that if I take these chains and tie it around this this right. individual that that will cause harm to that. Like it's a very thought well thought out plan, well executed, very like he's very uh what's the word coordinated. Right. So it's it knows how to fight. There's you. You usually don't get that kind of coordination from a frog monster. This is like a very special frog monster. Yeah, I think this like king frog monster or whatever yeah. with the tusk. Maybe it's a higher a rank higher, or yeah. something like that. Sure, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Back at the crash site, and again, Guy Davis just does an awesome job with showing the 
total ruins of the helicopter crash. And when you're unconscious, your mouth is hanging open in kind of a front. Like, you, like you can look at these people. Yeah. They're, it, that's what they would look like if they were unconscious. It's really horrible. And we see Kate on the ground right outside the helicopter. One of the pilots is totally dead. He's got this giant, like, stick in his chest or whatever, Washed. post. And the team is... Huh? He's been washed. Oh, oh yeah. Man. Yikes. Serenity fans. Leaf on the wind. All the agents are passed out in the back. Abraham Sapien, do you hear? Sunken bells are tolling for thee. And Abe is having his vision again. All the bodies are falling down. We see this door opening, and it's got this symbol on the door. And then as we go inside, there's a light. Crab Point. Crab Point, Michigan. And we cut back to the helicopter, and Kate's in there, and she's okay. She's calling the Bureau, and she says the rest of the team is missing. But she knows where to start looking, and she looks at the temple. So that's where she's going to start looking. So by the time that she's woken up, everybody's gone from the helicopter crash site. Back at the headquarters, the analysts think it's time to send in another team. But Manning says to give them another hour and call the local authorities. We see the new Temple of Mysteries, and we see the door, and on the door is that shape that Abe saw in his dream. The sign says it was established in 1994. When is the story taking place? Ah, that's a good little detail. Thank you, Danielle. So it was established in 1994. What else happened in 1994? Seed of Destruction. Yeah, Seed of Destruction did happen in 1994. So this is 10 years later, so it's 2004. Mm Mm-hmm. At the old church, the new temple of mysteries, inside the priest speaks of the 369 who were spawned of the seven, are waiting for the new day, which is near. So how does everybody know about this now? Because it's supposed to be the most unknown information in the world. We'll see that in a little bit. The priest has the BPRD pilot, and he's also got the agents on the floor behind him, but the pilot is up on the whatever on the stage with him. He offers the pilot salvation from the plague of man that is coming. The guy's just like, man, I just I, I just need to go to the hospital. <laughs> right, the yeah. And the guy's going on and on about all this fucking bullshit. He's just like, no, dude, dude, Actually, seriously. <laughs> and Abe just says, leave him alone. Wilson, don't listen to him. Quiet, I will deal with you soon enough, the priest says. Deal with me now, Abe says. Whatever you're doing, it has to stop. And the priest says, enough. And he says some of those words in that ancient language. It sends Abe and Liz crashing into the pew behind them, and they're totally immobilized. Guess you shouldn't have yelled at him, Liz says. Guess not. You sounded a little like Hellboy there for a minute. Really, Abe says? Is that good? Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) With Liz and Abe immobilized, the pilot is taken uh, by the priest to this robe figure. And this robe figure touches the pilot's forehead... And the priest calls him Saduhem. He does a little spore printing there. Yeah. And Kate is still trying to get in, but the doors are... She can't budge the doors. And meanwhile, frogs start to form around her. On the next page, the pilot transforms into this really awful frog monster. And upon seeing this, Johan says, Insane! You have given yourself over to evil powers. Ah, the talking bag, the priest says. In this life or the next, your soul will pay, Johan yells. like how he continues to refer to him like that. Talking bag, my soul will be exalted. It's just a, He just goes on with his ridiculousness, but he <laughs> keeps douche. calling him talking bag. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Johan continues to chastise the priest, but he notices all the congregation behind him are starting to come up on him, and they're all giant frog monsters. 
disgusting creatures, Johan says, as all the frogs kind of take a hold of him. And Kate is still trying to get in while Johan is just torn to pieces. And this is some really graphic well, imagery here. His yeah, suit. I mean, his little balloon suit. Yeah, but all the frog monsters just ripping him apart are pretty ferocious. Yeah, yeah. gross. I like when his, um, what is that? It's his, his ecto- essence. Well, it's his essence. ectoplasm form is kind of coming out. And you can see a little bit of his, what he used to look like yeah. in his corporeal body, I guess. And I I know I brought this up at least one other time, but I think um, Chris Beaver drew a really nice sketch for you in, yeah. in your sketchbook of of this kind of a thing. Yeah. Have you posted that? I posted that on the oh. Mike Mignola's art I Facebook really page, but I, I haven't posted it to our page. I'll go ahead and post that this week. He did such a good job with it. So. Yeah, I, I saw that. It was... Uh... Like it a lot. It was really awesome. Yeah. Well, of course, the way that Guy Davis does it here is just fantastic. It looks looks really good. I like his style a lot. Johan, now in his ectoplasmic form, he says, I will stay to witness your defeat. The priest asks, how is it you do not see the dragon, the seven who are one, has sent his own begotten son to me? And outside, Kate runs around the side. She can't get in through the door, so she runs around to the window to see what's going on there. And just at that moment, the priest pulls back the shroud on that giant figure, and we see this giant mushroom. What did you guys think of this reveal here? Very elephant man. He's <laughs> like, uh, dude, I think you got a little swollen there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just love the design of this of this guy. Mushroom man. And Kate just says, holy crap, as she's looking at this thing from outside. So wasn't that uh, Derby's body right there? Yes, and so uh, he's kind creepy. of combined with the... That that spore, the saduhem spore that they found, just at, and so this is kind of a neat little beat too, because just as he removes the shroud, then Johan goes bursting out through the window. He's like, "I'm out of here" or something, right? Yeah. Because just as they remove the shroud, Johan comes bursting out, knocking Kate back. Johan, goddamn, what the? And she just sees Johan disperse into the air. And the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, shit. You know what I mean? Like, you're kind of like, oh, no, what's happening? Right. I mean, it's like, damn, I thought we'd get a little more of Johan (laughs) when I saw that panel. All this shit is going down. They're all talking in this weird Sadu hem language. Yeah. Sadu jihad shit. And Liz can't even fucking concentrate enough to make the fire and the candles grow or anything. It's just really everyone's in a everyone's in quite a state here. Yeah, and so she's trying to use her powers, and she says she can't concentrate. And we kind of see she's trying to, like, think of this mantra or something. sure. The fire is not my enemy. It is a part of me. It is mine. Yeah, I was going to say, I I really like her mantra. You know, I guess she learned that in the... um, In the monastery at Agartha, yeah. yeah. And so it's just like, it's really cool. I, 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 I like the whole idea of the mantra because it's just like, you know, you set your mind... Uh, to something and it's just like bam you keep repeating it yeah and so eventually she is able to alight the candles and get their flames to set the saduhem darby monster on fire and i always and i was kind of thinking of this too like i'm glad she did that but i'm always like why do they always have candles at these things too sure. you ever notice <laughs> there i don't know how many times they always have a thing of candles around them sure. you know well, it's, what is that about? They well, they don't pay their electric bill. <laughs> <laughs> and I like how she keeps the fire going until it's completely like engulfed in flame. Like you kind of get the sense because she's Abe is like, great, Liz, now rein it in. And she's like, a little more, a little more. And then we just see it like, boom, like totally engulfed in flame. So I feel like she's waiting for that moment. Like she can tell when it's totally, yeah, 
totally charred or when it's totally all. Uh, of course, unfortunately, in this case, it uh, did a little more harm than good. Yeah. So as the charred remains of Saduhem, uh, after Liz sets it on fire, they kind of see it crack. And Liz says, I guess that's the second time I've torched that thing. Hopefully this time, but then it kind of cracks and we see all the like spores or dust from inside of it all go out. I think it got away, Liz says, as all the smoke rises out of that roof in the top of the temple. Outside, Kate was thrown from the window into this graveyard and she kind of looks around. She hears a rumbling <laughs> and then all these zombies start coming out of the ground and she's got some really good dialogue some, here. What do you think about this? It's a very, it's another, it's a, it's another John McClane moment here. Oh, come out to the coast, you know. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, I thought the same thing. She says, what the hell are you doing here? I had that cute little office at NYU. Remember, she was a professor at NYU before joining the BPRD. She's like, oh, it was too boring for you there. You had to come and chase down rotting skeletons coming out of the ground. Right. And she's like, Hellboy said, get out. Try field work. Sure. Why not? And she's just, and one thing I like about this scene. It's a scene, very Bruce Willis scene. Yeah. And oh, I, yeah. I, I like that. She's a good shot. Oh, yeah. She's a, sure. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we talk about how awful a shot Hellboy is most of the time. Kate's pretty good. Yeah, she doesn't seem to miss. She's like, bam, 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 yeah. bam. Liz and Abe hear the gunshots, and Liz goes out to help, and Abe goes after the priest. And again, I just love this shot of Kate in the middle kind of shooting and everything that's going on. Guy Davis really gives it like this urgent kind of frenetic feel to the scene. I like how uh, Liz says, I'll get her. You go after the nut and the robe. Right. <laughs> I'm just like, I love it. Outside, a frog croaks at Abe. Kate runs out of bullets as a horde of zombies descend, and Liz finds herself surrounded by frog monsters. Do you hear? Sunken bells are tolling for thee. I just love the ending of that issue. It's just kind of it leaves you on this kind of like they're all in this desperate state. Johan has been blown up, Roger's hanging from this frog monster, and then our three agents that are in the action are all totally like surrounded or all Cuts this creepy stuff is going off. Yeah. yeah. I want to say I really like this uh this panel for the chapter four with Liz standing there with a the fire. The cover? Yeah. Yeah, that's the it, cover, yeah. It uh it almost made me kind of think of Phoenix just a little bit. Oh yeah, the way the fire is kind of yeah. shaped right there. But just a little more badass. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah she still ma- she still retains her personality as part of you know she's oh, yeah. well, very it, sarcastic. Oh yeah. Whereas like uh, all the stories with the phoenix is a very it kind of takes over the person's mind as well, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. So it's interesting. And sunken bells are tolling for thee. So in the start of the next issue, that the temple bell is bonging, and Liz is surrounded by these frog monsters. And I love this how she's just like, "Come and get it, boys!" And she kind of like ramps up her hand like for a swing. And then we just see all the frog monsters like get pushed out of the temple yeah, in this big fireball. Too, too worried anymore. She yeah. I really like that. And she's repeating her mantra as all the frogs are just getting burned. And uh, Kate sees her in the graveyard. Kate is fighting all the zombies. Hey, snap out of it. I could use a little help over here. And I, I like this little detail. Liz says move, but she doesn't yell it. Yeah. And it's almost like she just says it to herself. Well, you know no, what she's I mean? saying it to Kate, but she's sort of still entranced. By yeah, her that's what I mean. Yeah, so she's like she's, but she she's very nonchalant in general. Yeah, so she's a very just move. Yeah, exactly. She's not gonna say it twice, and she's not gonna raise her voice. She's just gonna, <laughs> she says what she wants when she wants to say. It's very interesting. 
Yeah, and Kate's like, what? And then there's this huge fireball as all those zombies are engulfed in flames and she kind of jumps out of the way. That was a little close. I said move. Yeah. And so I like I that. Love that. <laughs> I love that little interaction. But I also like this idea that um, Liz gets in this trance and she's kind of like in and out of, I don't know. Well, if you've ever if you've ever been around a campfire or in front of a fireplace, it is yeah. sort of in, entrancing. It's yeah. very, you know. I feel like it's like she's gotten to herself to a place of just like calm peacefulness and then she's she's like, you know, oh, I can sure. do that. I can snap burn those guys. Yeah, no yeah. problem. Totally. You know, she's not losing control and she's not right. uh worrying about losing control. She's just like, I got this. It's yeah. a, it's a marked difference yeah. for yeah. sure. And Liz has a great recap for Kate. Dr. What's-His-Name apparently turned into a giant elephant man, fungus <laughs> guy, and he's mixed up with this crazy doomsday cult priest guy, and between the two of them, it looks like they turned the whole town into frog monsters. The whole town, Johan, Kate asks, torn up by the frog guys and blown out the window by the priest. I saw that. Yeah. I torched the fungus, but it looks like he got out into the cemetery. Not going to be a problem, though. And Liz's eyes turn red, and she engulfs all those zombies with fire. Liz, where's Abe, Kate asks. And we see that Abe has gone off into this back house, I guess, behind the burning temple. Investigating this beautiful roll-top desk, so lovingly rendered by Guy Davis here. Yeah, good job there. And we see all the books that are on there. Um, One of them says... The Secret Doctrine. Yeah, I saw that. One of them also says Nostradamus on it. Oh, interesting. And Abe looks through all this stuff in the house and he finds a scrapbook. And he finds stories of a miracle boy who could heal others. Abe reads an article. In front of attending physicians, a small wound appeared in the center of the boy's chest. And the event is dated May 11th, 1994, the same day that Cavendish Hall was destroyed. So, um, this boy was kind of like, I guess we get the sense from here that he was bonded with Saduhem or something I like guess, that. I guess, yeah. Because when Saduhem was destroyed in Seat of Destruction, that's when that hole formed. Right. Right. And it says... But that's also where uh, the hole in Rasputin formed. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's weird. Is oh, right. Not? Yeah. Because they stabbed sure. Rasputin through with the harpoon. You're absolutely right about that. Anyway, sorry. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 no. That's, yeah. It's, yeah, for sure. And so this boy was kind of bonded with Rasputin or something. Remember how Rasputin was able to appear to Zinko on that beach? Mm -hmm. So I think maybe this is kind of a similar thing. And Abe finds a temple to Rasputin. So he finds this temple with all the candles, the Project Ragnarok logo, and a picture of Rasputin. Wouldn't that be an altar, not a temple? Uh, Yeah, I mean an altar. Yeah, thank you, Aubrey. Abe recalls the events of Seed of Destruction and Wake the Devil... Remember that Abe speared Rasputin through while possessed by Elihu Cavendish. And he also saw a vision of Rasputin when he and Mr. Clark fell in that trap during Wake the Devil. I guess I'm just still not... I'm still curious about the connection. Because obviously the connection between Abe wounding Rasputin in this manner with the spirits of the chest. And then this little boy with the mysterious hole in his chest and whatever. Like... I just, I guess I'm just not getting the connection. Well, then doesn't Abe get speared to the chest here too? Right. So when Abe fell into the hole in Wake the Devil and he was down there, Mr. Clark got killed. And down in that hole, remember that Abe had a vision of Rasputin. Yeah. And Rasputin appeared to him with that hole in his chest. I know. I remember all that. And he said, so horrible an injury that I even wear its mark now. 
and he tells Abe, you will die as I died, and the hands of the spear shaft will belong to another, but the heart that drives them will be mine. Sure. So I think at that time, Rasputin had already put forth this plan. Right. Like, I'm going to get back on you. Sure. And I've already put in place the thing, so this is going to happen. And one day, you're going to be speared just like I was. Sure, totally. But it's going to be somebody else, but it's going to be from me. I get all of that. And I so, don't understand what but that, this little boy is. But I think that boy is the priest. Uh, the boy is the priest in the new temple. Okay. And, and he, I think that he received the vision from Rasputin the same way that Zinko uh, received the I vision on it. the beach. I get it. I'm a little, I'm a little bit slow sometimes. No, no, it's fine. It. And, and sometimes it takes a while to kind of... Well, I get that all the stuff is connected. Yeah. I'm like, this is very obvious that it's connected somehow. I, just, I feel very dull sometimes. I can't piece them together quite right. As Abe is kind of discovering all these things... He comes across the priest, and the priest stabs him through, just like we were talking about. Doesn't Hellboy get stabbed like that in the exact same manner? Yeah, Hellboy did get stabbed in the island. Yeah, Yeah, he gets stabbed through. And this is really awful as he harpoons Abe, and Abe kind of shoots him also uh, during this same time. And the priest is thrown back through the window from the shotgun blast, and he kind of falls out the window. And again, we hear Rasputin's words, Abraham Sapien... Do you hear sunken bells are tolling for thee? And so that's just been a recurring theme that Rasputin told Abe. And here we kind of see it's paying off. And Abe falls out through the window as well. And he has a confrontation with the priest. The priest says that he was chosen by the dragon. Upon Rasputin's death, it fell onto him to complete the work. The priest reveals that he sent Derby to free Saduham long enough to pass his gift onto the world the frog monsters the priest says these are the new children of the old gods and abe says that they will be round up by the bprd some not all many will escape they will not be recognized for what they are they will do what they must to survive they will be drawn to the secret places they will remember the old songs and they will sing and pray prayers not heard in a million years on this earth and the old gods will wake and I just really love all this. Yeah, go ahead. You were going to say something? Yeah, I like how when um, Abe catches up to the priest after they both go out the window, he's like, you're him. You're the West Virginia miracle boy. And he's like, yeah, the dragon chose me and made me into this old man. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where it kind of explains that yeah. that little connection. I guess I don't even know how I missed that. I guess I just was, I don't know. It's it, it's just a little detail here. I mean, it's just this little quote from A, but it's kind of, yeah, tying all this stuff together. And so it makes me think that at the time of Rasputin's death, this mission got sent to this little boy, you know, that he was going to do this stuff. Right, right. But, yeah, going back to, I want to talk about this. Um. So he, the priest is kind of explaining that not all the frog monsters are going to be round up and they look just like people now. And so they're going to go out into the world. So even though the agents are going to catch a bunch of them, they're not going to ca- catch all of them. The transformation from frog monster to person that Guy Davis does is so cool. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah. And um, it's just really creepy. And I love this. Um, they're going to get ticks walking through that tall grass. <laughs> They will be drawn to secret places that will remember the old songs. I love those panels yeah, right there of the that frogs. That page is so cool. Well, then the page after that. It's yeah. Cool. And you see them performing all these rituals to wake one of the Ogdruhem. And so they have all their candles and a frog and all this like kind of like Extremely gore. Extremely Lovecraftian. Yeah. 
little thing here. Mignola is so great at writing these dialogue pieces, sure. and Guy Davis is so great at doing this creepy frog monster stuff. They just really go well together. It's just yeah. one of my favorite parts of this whole story is this beat right here. Oh, yeah. And talk about being kind of a badass, even though this priest is a bad guy. He's just, he's just like, my work is done. I'm finished. And he just walks into the fire. That's fucked <laughs> that up. Intense. He's like, yeah, I created the frog monsters. That's what I was sent here to do. Peace out, y'all. I'm just going to burn, burn alive. myself alive. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. And Abe is just kind of left there. He's calling out no as he's just bleeding. This is really horrible. Hellboy, Kate, Liz, I'm sorry. And Abe starts to go into his vision, that nightmare that he's been having. He kind of drifts there now. Johan finds him, though. And Johan finds him in that um, state between life and death, and he tells him to come back with him. Johan explains without his containment suit, he risks being dispersed. Fortunately, he was able to secure a temporary vessel for his ectoplasmic form. Horrible. And he's this dead dog. <laughs> he finds this run-over dog, and he just puts his ectoplasm Horrible. in there. Horrible. I'm glad that you know he found a way, but oh, that poor dog. Really awful. <laughs> And this, uh, just the image of this dead dog, Johan, talking to Abe. Like, you know, in the scene, we're like, oh my God, what's happening? But the absurdity yeah. of how yeah, it's framed is sure. just, it's really good. It's its hard to ignore. And the dead dog, Johan, asks Abe to follow him, but Abe is too far gone, too tired. Do you hear them? Sunken bells. And the temple bell bongs. Liz and Kate find Johan and Abe. He is gone, Johan says. And the temple burns down. The way that um, Guy Davis drew this portrait of Rasputin yeah. burning mm -hmm. is um, just so good. It, it really is. Oh, yeah. They are tolling for me out of the caverns of Nunyabisk, dark and terrible deep. The ocean is calling her children home. And we just see Abe drift off. I wonder if that isn't like a, a long, like noon, I don't know. Might be. pronounced? I don't even know. What am I saying, numb? I don't know. Sounds like num-nums. Yeah. Back at the burning <laughs> temple, Liz and Kate desperately try and revive Abe. Johan says he was badly hurt, but there seemed to be something else. And Liz is really upset as she's trying to call out to call out to Abe, and he's just totally unresponsive. And it makes me think of how Abe was by her bedside when yeah. he thought that she was dead, too. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. I love the expression on Liz's face here. Guy Davis does a great job with this. Yeah. And... Abe drifts into the light like his dream and he goes into this temple and there's these like weird jellyfish columns and he encounters this jellyfish god creature. Yeah, some and, like jellyfish spirit with the the little things. It's <sighs> It has the little symbols that Abe has on its head. Well, the way yeah. that Guy Davis renders this is so beautiful. Like it's translucent. Yeah. Like, it, they're like they're tendrils inside of something on the i don't know it's just very and the, yeah but yeah those are the markings they're very similar to the markings on abe's uh face and then yeah. the little fins that are like on his there. neck yeah. oh yeah yeah you're right it's like the it's like his like that became his oversoul or something yeah in his vision abe watches the creature encase itself in a cocoon and Abe starts to kind of have this weird ghost vision. We've seen this a couple times sure. with Hellboy, yeah. where Hellboy is kind of seeing something that happened in the past, and he's kind of a just an observer. And so 
Abe observes that same cocoon that we just saw the jellyfish turn into. It's sitting in this old, ancient, underwater room or something because you can see like carvings all around it yeah it's like a temple almost and this guy in this weird diving suit comes in and he starts carving the little cocoon away we can kind of see his eyes looking at it and he carves it out and he takes it with him and he takes it out to this victorian submarine (laughs) super weird yeah and i love the the little lights on it um give it this really cool look uh, when I saw that, I was like, whoa, that's pretty slick. Yeah. Abe kind of follows this Victorian submarine. He finds himself in this hall, and it looks like it's Victorian times, based on how all the people are dressed. They don't seem to observe Abe. And outside, a storm rains down, and all these frogs fall from the sky. I love and so- the, little, the little onomatopoeia, the little plip, plip, splap. Yeah, of all the little frogs falling. Plap. And everybody's kind of freaking out as they get this rain of frogs. And I think that's a biblical thing, too, right? Sure, so that's Old Testament. Yeah. Like. Wasn't it against, like, one of the plagues against Egypt or something? It's the whole Moses thing. Yeah. Would it really be Victorian? Because aren't they in the United States in, like, the uh, 1850s, 1860s or something? I don't know. I, I don't know. So maybe it's not. Um... I mean, I guess... Technically, would that you, would be the time frame, but what would you call it in America? Yeah, well, what would you call when Abe Colonial? Lincoln, Colo- well, no, that's no, Abe Lincoln is col- around. That's the Civil War. Yeah, so it's it's way past colonial. <laughs> I don't Pre, know. Pre-Civil War time. Guess, well, no, it's because yeah. he just got shot, so that's after the Civil War. Uh, during uh, the Civil War. <laughs> I don't know. Well, some of our listeners kind of get, maybe they can give us some insight into... Our own mm. history. Right. And then also, we're going to learn more about this i think we're just getting like a little snapshot right now but we'll we'll fill in some more details of this story for sure abe finds a library and he passes through a bookshelf like a ghost into the secret basement nice and down there he sees all these weird machines he sees kind of they kind of look like um steampunk type design machines and he sees these weird tubes, kind of like the tubes that they've had him in. And he passes into this secret room. Inside the room, he finds five men around the cocoon that was taken out of that underwater temple. And they're furiously scribbling on paper. And the man in the middle holds the cocoon and begins to chant. And so this is, a, and in the room, you can see how they have this weird picture of some creature on the wall behind them and everything. The man in the middle, he holds the cocoon and he's chanting all this weird stuff. And the cocoon kind of starts glowing. And then in the middle of it, they all kind of snap out. And so it seems like they were doing something they, they didn't know that they were doing or they were like possessed or something because they're all kind of like, to the one that's holding the cocoon they're all like call put it down you fool put it down man good lord so it's like they didn't realize any of this was happening and well, they and just even he yeah he didn't realize he was doing it because he was like what what's what am i doing yeah. What have I done? yeah and he's like oh god no god save me as the cocoon it kind of like crumbles into dust and for a moment he sees that jellyfish creature and then he says he sees abe yeah he says stay back be gone spirit and it seems like he sees abe no, be gone spirit right as in like get out of here and he but none of the other men can see him how is it do you not see the thing how it's come to me it is because of what i've done you gentlemen have to save yourselves pursue these matters no further call says as abe approaches him so this is really weird it's like he can see abe but nobody else can't 
And as Abe approaches him, we kind of get this moment where he kind of freaks out and then it just cuts to black. And we hear Call's associates. They say things like, his skin, his eyes, water, let us get him into the water. A moment later, they're still talking. It seems like some time has passed. And they say they have killed Lincoln, Booth and Harold. If they are taken alive, if they talk, Corbett, we cannot risk. So I looked some of this up. When John Wilkes Booth assassinated President Lincoln in 1865, he was the only successful one of his group to do what he was supposed to do. He had this gang of people, and they were all going to go out and assassinate all these guys. And yeah. one of them, like, one of them got sick, and I think one of them got cold feet and all this kind of stuff. So he was the only one that actually went through with all these Southern sympathizers that he was in this gang with. One of the guys was David Harold. And Harold is the one who helped Booth escape after the assassination, although they were ultimately caught. And the guy who caught uh, Booth was Boston Corbett, a Union soldier. And so this is all kind of referenced here, like it's part of some larger conspiracy theory or something. So it makes it seem like... Were they... That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, it, it makes it seem like... Because they go, if he if they are taken alive, if they talk, and then they say Corbett. And Corbett is the guy who killed Booth. So it's kind of like they're like, no, we're going to send Corbett to go kill him so they won't find out anything. So they were trying to kill Lincoln. Or maybe they were in with this group or maybe they knew about it or it was part of some larger like, conspiracy. They yeah. were like, oh, they've killed Lincoln. And he was like, no. Like, but if you were in, a, if you were going to get in trouble because of that, wouldn't you know that that was happening? Right. And then let's just, and if you're involved in that group and you wanted to kill Lincoln, the reason they wanted to kill Lincoln was because they still wanted to keep slaves. So sure, sure. But I'm so just mean these like, are just some bad They're guys. terrible. But I just mean like, wouldn't they have expected this to happen? Right. Why I don't know. Fr- freaking out now that, their plan happened. I don't know. This is weird. Just trying to tie in some of those um, historical names that we see in here. So they're they're trying to get the fuck out of there because they're they're helped assassinate Lincoln. Right. They know. say we will have to go now. What about Call? We cannot leave him. Seal the room. When it's safe, we'll come back for him. Abe wakes up and he says, "What am I?" He's delirious. Kate says, and they put him in the helicopter. And I just really like this one scene of the, all the agents having to clear up all those frogs. Amazing. Okay. Can you imagine having to be one of those guys? Like, that's the real shit job yeah. of, like, out there trying to catch those frogs. He's and really struggling with this They're net. really struggling with them in the net. And, oh, that just seems like an awful, awful job for these guys. Really funny. We though. get to see the A-team go in there and sure. cause all the destruction. And then we don't see all the... They have their own, like, damage control, yeah. I guess. Yeah. They're probably the new hires. They got to start out with the grunt work. Right. <laughs> You really gave us a scare there for a while, Kate says to Abe. And Abe says, Roger, did you find him? And we see the agents kind of finding Roger. He's still hanging there. And then one of the agents is like, I don't know. And he's like, go on. And they kind of zap him with this little, they, they've got this little electrical device. And then Roger just kind of sits up. You okay, buddy? Yes. <laughs> Kate, we've got him. He's okay. And then back to the room where they have Abe. Kate says, he's okay. Abe, and then Johan still in the dead dog form. He's only sleeping. When it's safe, we'll come for him. And the church bell bongs again, and we just end on Abe in his little, uh, where they find him in his tube. And I really like, uh, I just want to point out, I like seeing these agents are nice to Roger. Yeah. 
because one of them's like, "You okay, buddy?" And then the other one's smiling when he's like, "We got him." Yeah, you know. Yeah, so we they're finally like, have people who are being nice to Roger. So they're like, yeah, so I, I, I they've really they've, they've maybe moved around some of those team members, so yeah. uh, they have some that that are nice to Roger or care about him. So yeah, uh, Plague of Frogs. I really love this story, and I thought I would read the afterword here. Back when I was drawing the first Hellboy series, even as I was destroying the pseudo Lovecraftian god monster Saduhem, I was thinking he should come back someday as a tiny fungus that works his way into a guy through a bullet hole, causing him to swell up into something horrible that eventually escapes into a graveyard where it reanimates a bunch of rotting skeletons. Of course. Add to that the vampire-like man-frogs and Rasputin's promise that Abe Sapien would get speared to death, and the story started to take shape. But there was something missing. Fortunately, during the filming of the Hellboy movie in Prague, I got hit with the flu, the scary-ass Eastern European kind, and was ordered to spend four days in my hotel room. Sweating and hallucinating, deprived of all human contact, I spent those 96 hours trying to come up with an ending for Plague of Frogs, and I did. The Secret Origin of Abe Sapien. Over the years, I've toured with the idea of working Abe's origin into a story. The trouble was, I sort of liked Abe not having an origin. I love that he was just discovered in a jar in a basement. But I also love the origin that I'd come up with, and knew it added a new dimension to the character. And when I found a way for Abe to not only witness his origin, but actually participate in it, when I saw that by solving one mystery, we were actually presenting an even bigger one, then I knew it was okay to finally tell his tale. But who do you get to draw something like that? Guy Davis, what can I say? I've been following Guy's work for years. Phantom Stranger, Sandman Mystery Theater, The Neverman, and his own brilliant The Marquis series. I am constantly amazed by his ability to draw anything and everything, apparently with little or no effort. He is a master of both clutter and understatement, and is, in my humble opinion, the best creature guy in the business. So who better to draw the origin of Abe Sapien? Who better to kick off this whole new direction for the BPRD? And fortunately, the promise of a Victorian submarine and tentacle monsters kept Guy on the book. But that's a story for next time. There you go, Mike Mignola. Yeah, so what do you guys think of this origin for Abe Sapien? I actually really enjoyed it. It's I really mean, interesting. It's yeah. like this this oversoul sort of bonds with... It be- he because he's but it for all of this to fall into place, Abe has to become a ghost. Right. And that's what's weird about it. Travel yeah. to the past to a memory that he had while he was this weird little oversoul under the ocean. Mm-hmm. Like how is but how is he there if he wasn't made yet? And it's a very kind and, of a and, and yeah, it, exactly. It's one of those and that's what makes it so well Mignola, I guess. Sure, no, it's great. I love it. But it also, I'm not criticizing it. I think it's a it's a good brain bender. But in a way to try and make some sense of it. Okay, so if Abe is part of this jellyfish creature thing, right? Maybe that's an early memory of the jellyfish creature is like going into this man. Yeah. And so Abe is a he's like having this ghost vision but maybe he's also remembering this very early memory sure but that guy saw abe but maybe he saw instead of seeing abe maybe he saw that jellyfish thing or he saw like a frogman or he he saw like i don't know know. yeah Yeah, you're right about that that doesn't make sense that he would see abe it's not that it doesn't make sense it's just it's just interesting yeah it's a thought experiment well it's kind of like that whole thought of like um the one part about time travel is um 
you know, you go back in time, you can't change anything or it, uh, because everything that happened already happened, already you happened, know? Yeah. So like if you are traveling back in time, that means you're always going to travel back in time. You're always going to do something and it's always going to affect. So that's kind of like gets around right, paradoxes right. and things like that. So that's kind of how I was kind of taking it. It's like, that's a cool little paradox thing. Yeah. It's like yeah. he was always, he was going to go back there. He was always going to go back there. Sure. It was always going to happen like that. He is part jellyfish oversoul god and part guy that was conspiring to kill abraham lincoln maybe yeah seems that way and part abe sapien himself who was always like that somehow well he's 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 basically a paradox well maybe it's like um the guy that he took over is just like he just used him as like a like a shell like to print himself upon well he became a i mean he's like an amalgam yeah yeah of all these things it's weird some little details that I was looking at in the sketchbook. Guy Davis says that Mike's description of the fungus guy was fungus elephant man. Yeah. And he instantly put a design in his head because of that description. The giant frog that Roger fights was going to be like this multi-headed frog, weird frog king thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. But he decided instead to just have it be one of those right. um, giant bullfrog versions, which is um, one of Mike's versions. Yeah. He also has early designs for this jellyfish creature, and he incorporated those lines on Abe's head. And in one of the little, in his little uh, drafting notes, it says Abe's mum. Ah, so cute. In the little descriptor, yeah. And he also says, for Victorian Abe or Call, I tried to keep the basic shape and facial features of Abe Sapien recognizable for his past human form. So Call's face kind of looks like Abe's face if you put them side by side, yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah, it says here Victorian Abe in the... Oh, yeah. So it, it's Victorian era, it is, I guess so. it is Victorian times, yeah. All right, really good. I, I really kind of like the uh, the throwback to uh, Seed of Destruction with the frog monsters and the Rasputin a little yeah. bit. And all yeah. That. And it felt like, you know, ooh, nice, exciting adventure. Where are we going next um, in BPRD? Exactly. Because it didn't wrap it up. We didn't have all the frog monsters just you know taken care of and like so where are we going next <laughs> exactly exactly and so this is a little better too than last week last week we kind of had those one-shot stories which were great for the most part but this is kind of introducing us into a lot of more new ideas we had some mythology episodes yes we had some mythology episodes and it's going to kind of take the bprd series in a in a really awesome direction that i think you all are going to really enjoy so awesome Great discussion, everybody. And now Aubrey's going to read all the things. So tell us your thoughts on Born Again and Plague of Frogs. Send us your feedback at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. You can join us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club and check out our friends at mignolaverse.com. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, please subscribe, like, and rate. Uh, that's always helps us uh, on our next episode we'll be discussing the dead so pull out your back issues trades etc and join us along next time thanks a lot for listening everybody i'm john salinas i'm daniel and i'm aubrey lola saying look that smoke it's johan yeah <laughs>